You probably have noticed, uh, you know, this is February 1st, 2nd Sunday in February, I guess. Uh, about a month ago at the, at the new year, you saw all these promotions for fitness and wellness, right? All these promotions with health clubs, sign up now and you get the first month free or, uh, first month for 20 cents because it's 2020. Uh, all these things, uh, that you could see to sign up for and eight week transformation camp. So I wonder how many people now that they're about six weeks in, have they, are they getting close to that transformation? Um, but this morning we're going to talk about bodybuilding, bodybuilding, because that's the subject of our chapter today. It's going to be Ephesians chapter four. But before we get there, I kind of ask this question is why do people get so fascinated with fitness and wellness and health clubs around the turn, like around the new year? Every year, it's the same thing, right? Every year in January, there's this big push to sign up for a gym. Well, I thought about it. Uh, you know, one reason people will tell you is that, well, beach season is coming, right? I got to have my beach body, got to be ready for the beach. Uh, so they think all spring they're going to be toning themselves, getting ready. Uh, another thing is people say, well, it's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to do better this year than I did last year. Well, did you make that resolution last year? Well, yeah, I did. <laughs> it didn't work last year. Maybe it'll work this year. Uh, so that's one reason. But I'll say another thing about, I think a lot of these advertisements that you see, see things on TV, is I think one of the major motivations that these groups use and that we use in our own life is guilt. We say, well, I feel guilty that I'm not healthier, so I'm going to sign up this year. I guess I'll do it. And let me just say this. I think guilt is a very poor motivator for almost anything positive. We need a greater purpose in mind if we want to be healthy physically uh, and if we want to be healthy spiritually. You know, if you think about this, a greater purpose, you have to begin with the end in mind, right? Last week we saw the Super Bowl. These chiefs keep coming back up, don't they? They just keep coming back. So... Uh, but these, these guys, really on any sports team, in order to win a championship, they begin with the end in mind. They say, we want to win the championship, and so they do whatever it takes to get ready to build their bodies, to build the strength that they need in order to make it happen. Same thing with us in our own physical bodies. I think a better motivation to become healthy is, uh, is maybe you have health problems. You need to improve your life. Maybe you want to spend more years with your family. Something like that. You're, you need a greater motivation for bodybuilding. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about bodybuilding and the body of Christ, okay? Uh, bodybuilding and the body of Christ. And so I want us to begin with the end in mind. We're going to skip to the end of our passage, Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, so we can see where it is that we're going. Why is it so important for us to think about all the different ways to build the body? And so it says this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, everything in chapter 4 that we're going to look at this morning really talks about this idea that we are doing this so that we can build up the body of Christ. So we can build up this church, so that we can build up the whole church of which this church is a part. So we want to do that this morning. We're going to start with this. When we talk about bodybuilding, there are really four things in your bulletin that you see, four things that we're going to be looking at. And the first thing is the core. When it comes to, to building up your strength and building up your body, uh, we want to talk about core strength first. 
so to do that, I want us to actually do a bodybuilding exercise this morning, okay? Everybody stand up with me, if you will. Please, everybody stand up. We're going to work on core strength this morning, all right? I know you all are looking forward to this, so everybody please stand up, all right? So let's get loose here, okay? So everybody move your shoulders a little bit. Now, if you're, if you're unable to do this medically, I understand, so please don't hurt yourself. So now roll your shoulders, okay? Now, without hitting your neighbor, raise your hands all the way to the top, okay, all the way back down. Okay, now turn around to your right, now turn to your left. That was whiplash there, wasn't it? That was a little too fast. All right, now I want you to reach out and shake the hand of somebody you haven't talked to this morning, okay? And that'll be the end of our bodybuilding exercise, all right? All right. Thanks for that. Thanks for working with me on that. Okay. So you weren't sure what I was going to, you can have a seat again. You can have a seat again. You weren't sure where we were going to go with that. If we were going to start doing uh, push-ups and sit-ups or, or what we were going to do. Uh, but the point is, uh, building the body of Christ is different than building your physical body, but it's no less important. In fact, I would say it's of great importance for us to look at how we build this body. And we want to build it the way that God lays out for us in Scripture. And he talks a great deal about that here in Ephesians 4. And we're going to look at the first two verses here, which talk specifically about building the core. And the core of, your, of, of the body of Christ is a character of love. Having the character of love, the heart of love. So let's look at these verses. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So what's interesting about that, those those two verses that you see on the screen in front of you is is, uh, these verses really are a turning point, a transition point in the book of Ephesians, because the first three chapters Paul's been talking over and over and over again about what the amazing things that Christ has done for us, the salvation that he offers to us freely, the riches and the inheritance that are yours if you belong to Christ Jesus. Really a lot of talk about what Christ has done. And then he says, therefore, because of all those things, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says, I've just told you about what you've been called to. I've told you about all the benefits. Now I want to tell you, walk in step with what you've been given. Walk in agreement with what God has given you. I love that word walk. We're going to come back to that over the next couple weeks. Really, the last half of Ephesians is all about this idea of walking with Christ. And guess what? Also walking with one another as the body of Christ. In fact, it reminds me of uh, what Paul does in Romans. Uh, the book of Romans, really in the first 11 chapters, uh, Paul unpacks all these amazing truths about who humans are. They're blo- broken and flawed. How amazing God's love is. God says, even while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on and talks. And finally, he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, in brothers, in view of the mercies of God, in other words, because of all the amazing things I've just told you about, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, I appeal to you. And if we go back to our verse for today, he says, I urge you. Paul's basically, you could almost translate as, I am begging you 
walk in a manner worthy of the things that I've described to you. I've just told you how amazing Jesus is, how amazing your inheritance is. Now walk with him. What we see in Paul's writings here is, is really in this idea of bodybuilding is you go from doctrine in the first three chapters to duty in the, in the last three chapters. Now, it's not that your duty is what saves you. It's that you've been saved. Now you have a duty, a responsibility. You have beliefs. What you believe about Jesus Christ in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and he spent a lot of time on this, your beliefs will affect your behavior. And that's true, uh, not just spiritually, but that's just true about life in general. What you believe about the nature of things affects the behavior that you have. That's a, something that we've actually discussed the last couple of weeks again in the parenting class uh, here at, at Trinity. Uh, the riches that have been described lead us to realize that we are responsible to follow Christ. Riches lead to responsibilities. In other words, if we we're going to sum this up, we would say that it's the grace effect. Grace affects every single area of your life. And we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks as we look at chapters 4, 5, and 6. Grace affects everything. So let it flow. Let the grace flow out of you. But that brings us back again to this idea of bodybuilding. This idea of our core strength. Um, it begins with the character of love. It begins with the core. Um, it, the, the character of love. If you think about uh, the idea of building, we're talking about bodybuilding. So again, uh, building a building. What's the first thing you do when you build a building? You lay a foundation, right? I remember when I was in uh, college uh, in uh, Chicago at Moody Bible Institute, uh, they, there was this vacant area of property, and they started digging this hole, and they dug and dug and brought concrete in and were putting pipes in for probably three months. It was just this giant pit that they gradually filled up with concrete. And we realized soon enough that that was the foundation for like a 60-story skyscraper that was going up. But they spent months working on this foundation. It had to be in place before they could begin to build anything upon it. Same thing is true with when we talk about building a healthy body, this idea of core strength. Now, this is a picture of not me, okay? But to be able to do something like this, your body has to have incredible strength in the core. And before you can do anything uh, really uh, um, uh, of any type of physical activity, you need, uh, you need to have a core strength that is there, a strong core. What Ephesians chapter 4 tells us is that this core, this character of love, is basically the new heart that God has given you when you place your faith in Christ. And so what does that look like? If we unpack these verses, it really lists out five different character qualities that are part of this character of love. Five different character qualities that are supposed to be present in your life as you are a part of this body of Christ. So the first one is humility. In your walk, because you have been saved, you now have this core, this heart of love, and it's characterized by humility, first of all. You have a new core, a new heart, and it begins with humility. Now, what is humility? You know, we're, we're told that Jesus Christ is the greatest example of humility. Um, scripture has a lot to say about how God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We are called to be a humble people. Well, a lot of people will tell you that uh, humility is this idea you need to think less of yourself. And that, that's probably part of it. Some of us probably do need to think less of ourselves. But really, I think a greater way to think about it is, and I'm quoting someone here, is that humility is really thinking of yourself less or less often. Does that make sense? 
How many times during the day, just in your thought process, if you push pause and said, what am I thinking about? You're probably thinking about something to make yourself happy or something to make yourself comfortable or something to take care of yourself. And I think that's one of the things with humility is that God tells us that if you're his child, think of others before you think of yourself. Put the needs of others, put the needs of the body of Christ ahead of yourselves. That doesn't mean you ignore your own needs, uh, but God says, think first of others. Think first of others. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Second word there is gentleness. Uh, a heart of love is characterized by gentleness. Some of your Bibles might say meekness, okay? That's not a word we use a lot, but the idea of meekness is, is not weakness, okay? Uh, meekness is the idea um, uh, of strength under control. You might be the strongest person in the room, uh, but you don't have to show it. Does that make sense? So uh, somebody who you would call a gentle giant might be a meek person. They could do anything they want to physically, but they choose not to. They choose to show love instead. And so God says, if you have strength, if you have great strength, whether that's spiritual or mental or physical, that doesn't mean you have to throw it around and abuse people or show people how strong you are. He says, use your strength to love other people. Gentleness. That's a great reminder for us as parents, right? Who are trying to raise our children or grandchildren. Patience. That word, uh, some of your Bibles might say long-suffering. So the idea here is, uh, I think we might think it's because we're Americans living in 2020 that we're impatient. I actually think when you read scripture, this is something that humans have struggled with since the beginning of time. We've always been an impatient race. The human race is an impatient race. And God says, be patient with one another, especially. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. I think this is the idea of caring about other people. When you see other people having needs, you bear with them. You go alongside them uh, and you show them love. That's what this new heart, this core strength is. And then the last thing is this idea of love, which ties them all together. Um, bearing with one another in love, it says. You know, a lot of these, uh, these qualities, uh, I really think all five of them could be summed up with love. This is what a loving person has. This is what a loving person does. This is the core of your new heart, is to have a character of love. So this morning, I would just ask you, how strong is your core? How strong is your core? When you look at those five qualities, those five virtues, is there something that you're missing or something that's a little bit weak, uh, something that you particularly struggle with? And if there is, ask God to help you with it. Memorize these verses and, and, uh, and work on it. And God says, I have given you a new heart and I'm making all things new. I want to transform you. So that's the first thing. The core is a character of love. But the second thing we see when we talk about bodybuilding, building this body of Christ, is the pattern. The pattern that's laid out for us here in Scripture is the unity of our God. One thing we notice over and over in the book of Ephesians is this word unity, this idea of being unified. And uh, in chapter 3, we talked about how God has created one unified church out of the two ethnic groups, Jews and Gentiles. They are now unified into one church. And God says, it's very important that my body, the body of Christ, is unified. It demonstrates unity. Now, if you step back and look at churches as a whole, or even went out on the street and asked a man or a woman on the street and said, 
Name one word that describes churches. Unity is probably not the word you're going to hear, okay? Uh, in fact, you'd probably hear the opposite. They're divided. They're always fighting. They're always arguing. And that's true. Because guess what? The enemy wants our churches to be divided. So let's talk for a minute about this idea of building unity, of bodybuilding, and, and having this idea of unity. The body is to demonstrate unity. Let's look at what Paul says about this in Scripture. Ephesians 4, 3, and 6, 3 through 6. It says this, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. What word was repeated in there? Anybody? One. (laughs) You heard that one. The word one was actually repeated seven times in that passage. Uh, We serve a unified God. And he says, my body, my church, is to represent me and be a unified body, showing unity. So when we talk about this pattern of unity, what is it that we're talking about? Look at these seven things. They're up on the screen. The seven things that were mentioned. It says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. What do all these things mean? God says it's important for you to realize when we talk about unity that there is one church. One church. Well, if I look at Covington, there's a lot of churches. There's dozens of churches. What does this mean? God says that all those who know me who've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, those are the people that we call saints. Those are the people who are Christians, true Christians. And he says, those people are members of my church. There's one church, and that is the community of all those who've been saved by Jesus. So there's one church, one spirit, one Holy Spirit, who comes to live inside every single believer. We talked about this earlier in Ephesians. If you know Jesus Christ, God lives inside you. God lives inside you. The living God who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead lives inside you. One spirit, one hope. This is super important. One hope. Don't miss this. Because when we talk about our one hope that we have in our calling is we confidently expect that Jesus is going to take us to live with him forever. We confidently expect, we hope, we know that he has saved us from our sins. And we have that one hope. You know, it's, it's tempting as humans to put our hope in a lot of different things. Well, yeah, I have Jesus, but I also have my 401k. And, and I have Jesus, but I also have my, uh, my house that I built myself with a safe room, you know. Uh, I have Jesus, but I also have my family that keeps me safe. And you put your hope in all these different things, whether it's possessions or, uh, or people. And God says, you really, if you're my follower, you have one hope. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And he says that is the foundation of the church. Not only that, though, that gives us our purpose, doesn't it, as a church. Our purpose is to draw more and more people to realize that hope. We have this one hope that Jesus Christ is going to save us, that Jesus Christ has saved us. And our purpose is to share that with as many people as we possibly can. So our one hope gives us unity to work on the same goal. One hope, one Lord, that means we have one master. Remember, we talk about being followers of Christ, um, a family of believers. Uh, This idea of having one Lord means that we have one master to follow. 
Who is it that you're following? Follow Jesus. That's the cry of God throughout the scriptures. It's the cry of Paul in, uh, in Ephesians. And it's the cry of Jesus himself. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One Lord to follow. One faith. There's only one way to know God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have faith in one God, one baptism. This again speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've all been baptized into the church through the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We also practice water baptism, but I don't think that's what's being uh, addressed here. Uh, We've been baptized into the church by the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit if you know Christ. And then to sum it all up again, at the bottom it says, One God and Father of all. Our God is one. He has one purpose in this world. And we are called to overflow with his grace as we help him, as we work with him to accomplish his purpose. And that is to seek and to save the lost, to redeem what's broken, to restore the brokenhearted, to have a relationship with him for all eternity. We are called to overflow with his grace. So this idea that the pattern of our unity comes from looking at our God. Um, This goes back to to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is one of the foundations of the Jewish faith. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We serve a God who is one, and he says he wants to have a body that is one as well. United in purpose, united in our task to reach the world. Think about this idea. We're talking about bodybuilding and fitness. You go to a fitness class. How many of you in here have ever been to a fitness class? Or to work out in the gym. Okay, there's a lot of hands. Okay, a lot of times when you show up and you show up for this class, maybe it was in college, maybe it's a gym you subscribe to, you have a teacher or an instructor who's up in the front of the class. And they're showing you exactly what you're supposed to do. And they're like, wave your arms this way. And you kind of, you can't quite do it as good as they can do it ever, right? (laughs) But here's what I want us to think about. When we talk about this pattern of what our unity is to look like, remember that we serve a God who is one. He says, follow the instructor. Imitate me. Uh, we're going to talk about this in chapter 5. It says, be imitators of Christ. And then the other thing is, I think, if you're in a fitness class trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing to build this body, what am I supposed to be doing to build the body of Christ, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, we are looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes focused on him. Uh, We learned that in Colossians as well. If you keep your eyes focused on Christ, you'll be amazed at what that does for the unity of this church and what it does for the unity of our purpose as we reach the world. So I would ask you this. When you think about the pattern that God has set for us, this idea of unity, does your heart beat with his passion? You are united to Christ and united to one another. So does your heart beat with that same passion to know God and to make him known to other people? That's what he's called us to do. And that's what his mission is in the world, that he would be known by us and that we would make him known to others. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.
But the third component of bodybuilding, then I would say, is this. Uh, if we look at verses 7 through 12, verses 7 through 12 is the process, which involves the diversity of gifts. Now, if you look at that outline there, you'll see point number two talks about unity. Point number three talks about diversity. Seems a little contradictory, doesn't it? Uh, it's interesting in those first few verses of chapter 4, uh, he keeps talking all about all of us and everyone. And then all of a sudden we get to verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us. So he shifts from this idea of talking about all of us now to each of us. So it's important for us to realize that not only is this truth there for the whole group, but the truth is there for each Christian within this church. Let's read these verses. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is verses 7 through 12. So we come back to this idea, the idea of the diversity of our gifts. God says, I want to build my church. I want you all to be unified. But the way I'm going to do that is to give a variety of gifts to people in the church. A variety of people. I look out over this church. There are all different ages, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. All of us have different lifestyles, all of us have different skills. And God says, I bring you all together in this church so that you can serve one purpose. But as part of this body, God says, I've given each of you a variety or a diversity of gifts. In other words, he has given each one of you abilities to accomplish this mission. Those things that we call spiritual gifts. Uh, here in this chapter, it talks about, um, he has given us gifts. So what are these spiritual gifts? Uh, what, you notice in the middle of that passage, there was that little thing where it says, this is why it says he descended and, and ascended. What Paul's doing there is actually quoting Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Psalm 68, if you get a chance to look at it later today, is actually what we would call an enthronement psalm, where God is talking about how he comes to be seated on the throne and he rules over all the earth. He has saved his people. Uh, a psalm that Paul here in Ephesians 4 and also uh, church historians have have ascribed to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. And Paul says here, when he sat down, one of the things he does with his rule and his authority and power, think about it, the king sitting down on his throne to begin his rule, what does he do? He gives gifts to humans. Of all the powerful things he could do, he chooses to give gifts to humans. And we're talking about supernatural abilities that he gives each one of you. Um, we're not going to get too deep into spiritual gifts today, but just know this, that God says that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is an ability that God gives you uh, that enables you to accomplish the mission of the church, to share his love with other people. Some of you might say, oh yeah, I've had this discussion before. I know exactly what my spiritual gift is. Others of you might say, I've never heard of this. What are you talking about? Uh, some of you might say, uh, I've known for years what my spiritual gift is, but I've never used it. Um, well, I would just say this. Uh, 
Every person plays a role. And if you're not sure about these spiritual gifts, other places you could look in Scripture to find out about this would be 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read some verses from there in a second. Romans chapter 12, here in Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. So there are really four places in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. And they're all 12s and 4s, okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, okay? Let's look at what 1 Corinthians 12 says about this, this idea of having a diversity of gifts within the body. Um, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, he says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the eye should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That last phrase, there are many parts, yet one body, is so important for us to realize as we look at Ephesians 4. There are many of you out here with all kinds of different gifts, abilities, resources, things that God has given you. Yet it's one body that's working together to accomplish the mission of Christ. The process includes this idea of the diversity of gifts. I'm going to show you a picture here that helps me kind of understand this whole concept. This is a picture of a car dealership. Um, and so you look at that and you say, wow, look at all those beautiful cars. They're amazing. Like, wouldn't you love to have a brand new car? Um, and we like to see all those pretty cars, but guess what? If you're a car dealer, uh, like our brother Joe over here, and you see that lot full of cars, you might say that's beautiful, but it'd be a lot more beautiful if it was empty, wouldn't it be? <laughs> if they were all sold and out being driven by people, because that's what cars are built to do, is to be driven by people. So you see a lot full of cars, all different shapes and sizes, cars, trucks, SUVs, minivans, all these different things. God says, just like that, I've created all different kinds of people to go out and do different things, but I don't want them to stay parked in the lot. I don't want you all to stay parked in the church and just sit here and you come here and soak up things, fill up with gas and next week come back, we'll tuck you off. I'm really not empty because I haven't given anything out. God says, I want you to be out driving around, serving me in these places. Another picture. This is a picture of my tool workbench, perfectly organized. It's actually not. <laughs> this is just a picture I found on the internet. But if you think about tools in a workshop that are perfectly lined up, each tool has its different job. You got vice grips, you got wrenches, a hammer, all these different things. And you might say, what I would say to you is this, that every tool represents something that God has called the church to do, called us in the church to do. Each tool has an important job to do. But how sad would it be if that tool board just sits there and the tools never get taken off the board. Uh, what a waste. One more analogy for you. All right. This is the 1969 Kansas City Chiefs team. These Chiefs just keep coming back. I'm telling you, they just keep coming back. Uh, what do they have in common with the 2019 team that just won the Super Bowl? There are many members of that team, many members of this team. They all have different positions. If you think about any sports team, who wants to win a championship, everyone on the team knows that they have a job to do. And you might give all the glory to the MVP, the quarterback. You might give a lot of attention to the running backs. But the reality is none of those things would happen without the coaches on the sideline, without the offensive linemen who never, we don't even know their names, right? Um, 
without the punters, without the offensive line, the defensive line. Everyone has different jobs, but guess what? They all have the same purpose. And it's the same thing for us in the church. We're here waiting in the tunnel, ready to run out and accomplish the purpose that God has called us to accomplish. And he says, I want you to do that through the diversity of gifts. Well, how do you discover what your gifts are? Um, a couple other thoughts on this. Uh, the ones that were mentioned here in chapter 4, verse 11, it says he gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So there was really four different ones mentioned there. Pastors and teachers go together. He says these, these people, the people who have these kind of gifts, are supposed to use them to build up the church. You look at some of the lists in Romans 12 uh, or the lists in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. A list of all these different things, preaching, speaking, serving, hospitality, all these things that God says, I'll pour my spirit out on you and give you a supernatural ability to share my love through those gifts. How do you know which one you have? Well, you know, you can go online and fill out some of these surveys and they'll tell you it comes to the end. You click submit and it'll spit out a number to you and that's the spiritual gift you got. There might be some value in that uh, just to kind of see the way you're wired. But I just want to tell you, I think that's not the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is. Um, first of all, be aware what the spiritual, spiritual gifts are. But then I want to tell you, I think the best way in my experience as a pastor, watching people discover what they're gifted at, uh, comes from serving together. Doing things like what we're going to do next Saturday with the men. Um, and it might not be that you're, you're, you come out of that saying, well, man, my gift is just to go paint houses. I'm really gifted at that. Some of you might be. Uh, I'm already going to guarantee you that's not my gift. Uh, it's a sacrifice for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, you go and serve with other people, and it's amazing how God uses that to open your eyes to the needs that are out there. And if you see a need that needs to be met, it's amazing when you go and try to meet that and God uses you and you say, I had no idea that I could help somebody with that issue or that I had the ability to walk somebody through that situation. But you go out, you serve together, and it opens your eyes to the needs that are out there. I think that's the first step to discovering your spiritual gift is to see the needs in the people around you and then realize that God's put you around those people and he's going to give you the ability to bring the gospel, to bring grace into their lives. So that's what I'd say. The, the solution is to go work out. <laughs> go out and do something active with your faith. Don't just sit there and try to figure out what you're supposed to. Go out and see the needs and come to know that. Work out. Try some things. But what I want to say next is that the last thing we want to talk about here is the product of this idea of bodybuilding. What's the finished product look like? What does God want it to look like when we have built this body the way he wants it to be built? And I would say it looks like this, growing maturity, which is an interesting thing to say because you realize what that means. The product is actually a process, isn't it? God says you're going to be in this process of growth for your entire life, growing in maturity. As we read these verses, uh, follow along as I read verses 13 through 16. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. What we see in these verses is this idea of growing maturity. And I think the evidence of maturity that we saw as we read those verses, uh, one thing would be Christ-likeness. You become like Christ. Another thing would be, it talked about being buffeted by the waves of doctrine. And uh, I think God says, if you're growing, you're going to have a sense of stability. In other words, you won't get swept away by the trendiest new speaker who leads you down the wrong path. You won't be swept away by... uh, a distorted gospel that says you need Jesus plus this. You're going to be rooted and grounded in Christ. You won't be swept away. It'll also give you stability when the storms of life come. And notice I said when the storms of life come because to be human is to encounter difficulty. And God says, I want you to have stability and maturity when those things come. I think the evidence of maturity is also this idea of being able to share truth in a loving way. Because there's a lot of people who are really good at sharing truth and barking it out there uh, in an offensive way. And God says uh, we are called to share truth in a loving way. I think another thing, a last thing we would say is this idea of cooperation. Maturity looks like cooperation, growing together. So this morning as we look at that, That idea of growing maturity, again, I would just ask you, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in the way that God has laid out in front of you? Well, then, as God says, walk with me. Walk with me. Our passage today began with love, and it ends with love. God says, walk in my love. Share my love. He wants us to build his body. He wants us to overflow With his love. And I think that's what we're talking about. God says, I want to produce in you a growing maturity. You are going to uh, make progress in your life. But I want you to think about one thing here before we close in prayer. And this is, this is incredibly important. This is from the end of chapter three is that we must depend on him in order to do this. We must depend on him in order to build this body, to build this local body of Trinity Church, to have unity, to share his love. We must depend on him because he's the source of our grace. He's the source of our unity. He's the source of our power. And he is the source of our love. And I would just invite you to depend on him each and every day. We're going to close in prayer now by, uh, I want us to actually read Uh, these words on the screen together as a prayer. And these come from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And what a great reminder. When we start talking about our own gifts, the gifts that God gives us, remember that we have to depend on him. So if you will, please stand with me and we will pray together. Let's pray. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.